Amen. If you would, uh, turn with me to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, we start a new series today called Jesus Can Change Your Life. And I really do believe that. And my prayer is that as we go through this over the next few weeks, that you would have that conviction in your own heart, not just have some kind of intellectual agreement with that statement, but that would be something that you experience for yourself. Um, so let's get ready to dive in both feet. First, I won't make the same mistake I made with the last service. I jumped right in. I uh, got some good news for you today. We've uh, got our total in for Lottie Moon, and we brought in, our goal is 28000 We brought in $30,480 and still have today and next week. Uh, so uh, what we like to do in the last couple of weeks of January is just run the score up on the devil, Okay. Uh, that's what we like to do. Uh, we have no mercy for the devil, so we'll just keep running it up. Uh, but that's where we are, and that is a praise uh, to the Lord. Well, today I want to start John chapter 9. We'll read verses 1 through 12. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he said to him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I do not know, he said. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I pray that today we would know that the same Jesus who worked 2,000 years ago in the life of this blind man is the same Jesus at work right now. And that he has the power to heal, he has the power to save, he has the power to give us abundant life. And so, Lord, I pray that we would know that we have a need for that and that we'd believe that with all of our hearts I pray, Lord, you would give us focus, that we would give our attention to Jesus, because he is certainly worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, every Christian has a story of how Jesus changed their life. Their life was heading in one direction. They had an encounter with Jesus. Maybe it was at camp, maybe it was at church, maybe it was in uh, reading scripture. They, they had an encounter with Jesus, and the trajectory of their life changed. Uh, their life was moving in one direction, and then it Everything changed for them. To know Jesus is to be changed by Jesus. This truth is recorded in the Bible numerous times. You've got Zacchaeus. You've got the adulteress, or as I like to call her, the forgiven woman. Um, you've got the demon-possessed man, the paralyzed man, the bleeding woman, the disciples. And you've got Paul. And you've got countless people scattered throughout human history whose lives were changed. These stories that we have in the Bible are not myths. They're historical accounts of something that really happened. How do we know these things really happened? I think there are many reasons to believe the accounts of the Bible. 
And if you don't believe that they're true, I'd love to sit and talk with you anytime. You come to my office, you ask any question you want, I'll give you an answer. I'll do my best to find an answer if I don't have one. But, um, but one good reason we have to believe the stories in the Bible are true is that the same kind of stories keep happening. They keep happening in our own day where people uh, come to know Jesus and their life is changed by Jesus. We told you that we're going to start up another round of discipleship courses, disciple-to-disciple courses, what we call D2D. And, and um, in one of those early ones, we uh, asked everybody to write out their testimony, okay? And so uh, we did that, and I, I just, in my own group, I said, hey, everybody grab out, uh, get out a, a pen and, and some paper. I just want you to take a few moments and spend some time, and I want you to write down uh, your testimony, which is going to include your past before you came to know Christ. Uh, every testimony has that awakening moment, that moment you realize that you're a sinner and you have a need for God's grace and mercy. You're awakened to the beauty and the power and the glory of Christ. And so then there's that conversion moment where you trust in Jesus. You give him your full allegiance, your full commitment, you Place your faith in Jesus Christ, and then there's that transformation after that. Everybody has that kind of testimony where there's a past, there's an awakening, there's a conversion moment of faith, and then there's transformation after that. I said, y'all just take some time, get out your journals, get out your pens, and y'all just write that down. So we took some time, and we did that. And I said, okay, uh, now I just want you to read your testimony to the person who's... uh, Get a partner, everybody get a partner... And you read that testimony to your partner. Now, this is a, this is a Thursday morning. I uh, have Bible studies all the time. I didn't really think much of it until a few moments later and people are struggling to make it through sentences because they're just they're overwhelmed by God's grace. They've they got a lump in their throat. The person they're talking to is crying with them. And suddenly we found ourselves just in a holy moment as we reflected on God's grace and how God had changed our lives. Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to share some of those stories with you uh, through video, uh, normally before I get up here, but uh, today I want to kind of explain what's going on. And so today we have uh, Deb, who's going to share her story of how Christ changed her life. Uh, I don't remember exactly how old I was when I first accepted Jesus as my Savior, but I'm, I'm thinking that I was somewhere around the age of 10 or 11. And it wasn't very long after that that my parents divorced. And of course my life was just totally turned upside down and we stopped going to church. And I mark that as the beginning of my separation from God and it was a separation that would span the course of 40 years so that's a long time and it wasn't intentional it was gradual but as the years continued to pass the divide between me and God became so great that I had trouble believing that he existed. 
And I certainly didn't live as if he existed. He got zero time from me, and that's a literal statement. When my mother learned of this, uh, she became this super prayer warrior for me. And I have to say that I'm really blessed to have a mother who would not give up on me. I'm so grateful for her. But at that particular time in my life, I was not grateful at all. And if you would have told me 10 years ago, less than 10 years ago, um, that I would be a member of this church or any church and that I would be sitting here sharing my testimony with you, I would have probably laughed at you and told you that you absolutely have the wrong. But when I think back on that time, it is empowering to me because it proves to me the incredible power of prayer. And not only that, but the tremendous love that Jesus has for us. And he heard those prayers and he absolutely left the 99 to come after me. I was very lost and very unworthy sheep. But here I am. And I just think that we are so blessed to have a God that is so loving and so merciful. And that's how Jesus changed my life. That's what we want to say to you is that Jesus can change your life no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, that there's a God in heaven who created you in his own image. And even when humanity rebelled against him and ran from him, in the midst of that, in the midst of our sinfulness and rebellion, God sent his son into the world at the perfect time. And Jesus moved from village to village showing compassion, showing love to sinners, tax collectors, to the broken, and he ultimately gave his life on the cross, the Bible says, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be saved, we might be made whole. And God raised his beloved son from the dead three days later, and whoever believes in him, this is what we read earlier, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. So today I just want to make that simple claim, Jesus can change your life and see if we might take a fresh look at Jesus. This, these stories are not just so you can think how wonderful for them, but for you to know that this same kind of thing can happen for you as well. So today we start by really looking at the anatomy of spiritual renewal, looking at three facts about change. We say, well... Uh, we may or may not like that word change, okay? Uh, some of us, we don't like change, and we don't like to change. But the truth is, any person in this room needs change. It's not acceptable to stay where you are. There's got to be growth. There's got to be 
development. There's got to be renewal if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So today we look at three facts of change, really uh, looking at the spiritual anatomy of, uh, uh, at the anatomy of spiritual renewal. So fact number one, all of us need to be made whole. All of us need to be made whole. So this story begins with a man blind from birth. It says, uh, Jesus' disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So curious, uh, the disciples uh, want to understand better a theological conundrum. Uh, they want to enter into a doctrinal conversation when they see a blind man um, they want to have this spiritual conversation with Jesus. They're interested in learning the cause of this man's plight. What is the cause? What is the cause and effect relationship in this world? Uh, give us the why. Help us understand the why. Why was this man born blind? Some rabbis would answer in that day that was this man's sinful nature in his mother's womb. Uh, that caused this. Genesis 25, 22 would be a text that they might use uh, to make this claim. This is a story of Jacob and Esau uh, in the womb, and they're fighting and warring against one another. So they uh, take that and they say, well, you know, even in the womb we can sin. Uh, others thought this man's condition might be due to his immediate ancestors, that, hey, he comes from a sinful family, a sinful past, and that's why. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9. This is why he was born blind. The disciples uh, were asking Jesus this question. After all, they paid good money to be in this seminary, and they want a good answer for this doctrinal question. But the premise behind such a question is that we live in a fair world. And that somehow there's got to be an explanation as to why something bad would happen to someone else there's got to be some kind of explanation as to why that would be because surely we live in a fair world. Ancient Jews did not believe in something called karma, that actions and decisions made in a current life will determine the circumstances of one's future lives. They didn't believe in that. But they had something that they believed that would try to get them to a similar place, that there must be some fair explanation because if the world's not fair, maybe that threatens the fairness and the goodness of God. Well, the truth is, if you read the Bible, uh, one of the things I love about the Bible is its brutal honesty. It's, authentic, it's authentic, it's sincere in what it says. And one of the things it says, there are many dark corners in this world where there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of pain. Children are born with sickness and disability. They're born into poverty. They're born into broken homes. They're born into situations where they'll never be properly educated. They're born into systems where they never, uh, are, they never feel wanted or loved. And many of us, we, we look at this and our gut reaction is to ask doctrinal questions out of our curiosity, but then others of us, we come to situations like that and it comes from a much deeper place, from a place of pain, and we cry out to the heavens and say, why God? Why is the world like this. But the common ground both sides have is that the world is not as it ought to be. It's not as it ought to be. There, there are things that go on in the world that we look at and we say that that's not good. That's evil. That's not right. One of the profound truths in this passage is that the physical brokenness also speaks to the spiritual emptiness all around us as well. 
So this man is physically blind, but Jesus doesn't pass up on the opportunity to draw out the fact that it's not just the physical blindness that's a concern. There is also a spiritual blindness as well. Skip down to chapter 9, verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. In other words, he's just helped a, a blind man see physically, but in doing that, others harden their hearts, as we're going to see along the way. They harden their hearts to the fact that this has happened, and so they are, in fact, blind, even though they claim to see. The fact remains, all of us need to be made whole. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are in need of God's grace, and one of the first steps in Alcoholics Anonymous is what? Admitting you have a problem and you need help to overcome it. If you ever hope to change, there has to be that awakening moment, not just where you're awakened to the goodness of Christ, we're going to get to that in just a moment, but also where you're awakened to your depravity, to your brokenness, to your need to be made whole. And we take a lot of comfort in the fact that there are other sick folks around us, right? We don't feel nearly as sick if we can find other people who are more spiritually sick than we are. We're just like the Pharisee who went to the temple and he said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that guy over there, talking about the tax collector. And he felt justified because he felt like there was a gap between his spiritual growth, where he was spiritually, and this tax collector, whereas the tax collector went into the temple and he said, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. He humbled himself before the Lord and he knew he needed to be made whole. He needed mercy. He needed grace. He needed forgiveness. The excuse, at least I'm not as bad as that guy, is nothing more than a strategy to not get better and not be made whole. And it's fed to you by the evil one who doesn't want you to recognize that fact. The evil one doesn't want you to be convicted of sin, to be convicted that there's something off in not just the world, but in your own heart. He doesn't want you to be awakened to that reality, and so that would move you into non-action. Non-action is a choice. I want you to listen to me. We are in the sleepy Bible belt, right, where we love to come to church, we love to learn more about the Bible, and then we love to go and do nothing about it. That's not Christianity. Non-action is a choice. All of us have some kind of blindness, depravity. We're enslaved to various passions. We're sickened by this disease known as sin. And we have to wake up to the fact that we need to be made whole. All of us need to be made whole. And you know the thing is, the thing that strikes me about uh, Deb's testimony, there's a 40-year gap. 40-year gap. Some of you this morning, you might have just been spiritually dead for 40 years. Today could be the day where God awakens you to your need for forgiveness and grace, where God awakens you to the power of Jesus to offer you that. And that's my prayer today. Fact number two. Jesus is willing and able to restore. Jesus is willing and able to restore. Jesus answers the question, neither this man nor his parents sinned, 
But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus answers the question, the man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. The, the man's blindness would serve as a fitting backdrop to display the light, the beauty, the glory, the goodness of God. Some of us, we can take that first step and admit that there's a problem, but some of us find it hard to believe that there's actually a real, legitimate cure. We just see the sickness, but we don't see the cure. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I've got good news for you. The gospel says there is a cure. That even though that this world is broken and we are depraved in our hearts, that there is a cure that makes us whole. You are not beyond hope. You are not beyond saving. You are not beyond being healed. There is hope for you. The power of Christ can change your life. But there's just some who can't find it within themselves to believe that something so powerful and good could be real. So the Pharisees, what did they want to do? They wanted to hold court. They wanted to hold an investigation into this matter to see if this thing really did happen. They wanted really, I think, to justify their own blindness by poking holes in this miracle account. So first, they interview the blind man, the man who was blind. Look at verse 13. It says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he'd received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. So here's the situation. They're like, you know, there's a problem. If, if this man were really from God, they're trying to determine, is this the Messiah? And if this man's really from God, notice what he did. He, he performed this act on the Sabbath. And you can't do this kind of thing on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And so they had come up with a rule to exclude acts of mercy and compassion on the Sabbath day. Then they have to interview his parents. So they call his parents in. Verse 18 it says they did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who's, who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Now, why would his parents say that? Why would they not just rejoice that, yes, he was blind, and now he can see the answers in the next verse? His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. In other words, actually going along and saying this powerful thing has been done would mean that they would get excluded from church, basically, excluded from their synagogue. And I just feel like there's so many religious settings and even churches around the world that they are set up as systems to avoid Jesus doing anything spectacular in their midst. 
They just don't want that kind of thing to happen because guess what? If you are carnal in your sin, the last thing you want is for other people around you to start having their lives changed by Jesus. That's going to infringe upon your carnality. It's going to infringe upon your ability to remain bitter and cold and calloused in your faith. And so people will push back. The Pharisees, they knew. I I really think that they knew there's something special about this man, but they just would not open their hearts to what God was doing. Well, now it's time for the third interrogation, right? And so they call back the blind man. And they begin to ask more questions. They say, tell us the truth. In verse 25, it says, whether he was a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Here's this guy who's like, you know what? I haven't been to seminary. I haven't been following Jesus around. I haven't learned the Torah like the Pharisees have. I don't know all of this doctrinal knowledge. But here's here's a couple of things I know. Here's one thing I know. I was blind And now I see. And all that changed when I had an encounter with Jesus. So that's why I believe he is who he says he is. Don't buy into the lie, folks, that Jesus no longer changes lives. When did we become so skeptical that Jesus changes lives? That he still works today? A lot of times we think if something doesn't happen for us, it couldn't happen for someone else. I remember going and preaching in a prison, and it was a preacher's dream. I've told you about it before. They said, you've got an hour. I was like, okay, great. I filled up the full hour. They were attentive from the beginning to the very end, engaging, interacting, and when you gave the altar call, several came down. They, uh, they knelt at the altar. Several came for prayer. Several huddled around and prayed together. And someone said to me not too long after that, and I was telling that, well, do you think it was real? Do you think that they were sincere or that they were just putting on a show? And that they found it hard to believe that, that they were genuine. I said, I believe they were genuine. I believe that, sure, there are probably some fakes, probably some going along with the flow, but you know what? I've been a Baptist preacher long enough to know that's true of some people in this room as well. And I've been in this journey long enough to know at points in my journey that was probably true of me as well, where I was not being sincere in my faith. But I also know that I have seen and experience Jesus' power to change lives. I've seen that over and over and over again. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. If Jesus has the power to give sight, I assure you he has the power to change your life, to change churches, to where we go from being blind in our faith to being able to see. And the backdrop, the backdrop, the beautiful backdrop to all of this is your own brokenness. So it doesn't seem beautiful to me, but it is beautiful. Like you would never know of the love of God to the extent that you know about it if we didn't live in a broken world. Can we just be honest here for a minute? If everything was perfect you would not know the mercy of God. 
you would not know the grace of God. If there was no need for Jesus to come in the world and die on the cross, you wouldn't know the extent to which God would go to save you, to redeem you, to set you free. Your backstory, whatever struggles, whatever darkness, whatever brokenness there is, is a backdrop for God to put on display His brilliance, the radiance of His glory and grace. This brings us to fact number three. Change comes through faith. Change comes through faith. Why did this healing take place? Well, first, someone needed to be healed. Okay, In order for there to be healing, there's got to be brokenness. There's got to be someone that needs to be healed. There was a blind man. Second, there had to be someone with the power to heal. There was. There's Jesus. But then there's this third element where the blind man was to believe. He, he had to believe. He said, no, uh, he didn't have to believe. But let me, let me ask you this question. Jesus healed him by putting mud on his eyes. Did Jesus need the mud to heal him? No, of course not, right? Not a trick question. Of course not. He didn't need the mud. So why do you think he used mud? He put mud on his eyes, and then what did Jesus say to him? Go wash. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so this man, he could have just stood there and, and wiped his eyes to see if he could see, but this man was asked to go and perform an act of faith. Go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam and you will be healed. And so he does. His faith made him whole. Some of us say, I don't know about that. The Bible doesn't say that in that passage. So let's go to a place where it does. Uh, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 35. This is Jesus. He's about to enter into the town where he meets Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And I really think uh, this should be part of chapter 19 rather than 18 because I think the story is meant to go with the story of Zacchaeus. But it says in verse 35, as Jesus approached Jericho, this is Luke 18, 35, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting on the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what is happening? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So let me just tell you something. If you've cried out to Jesus and people tell you to be quiet, cry out louder. Get louder. Cry out to Jesus. Because guess what he's going to do? He's going to do the same thing he did in this passage. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? Now again, we've got a blind beggar. We don't have a Pharisee. We don't have some expert in the law. We've got a guy who probably knows enough that Jesus is going from town to town. He's healing people. And could this be the Messiah? Could this be the son of David? This might be in. And so he's heard these stories. He knows just enough to ask the question. And he says this, Lord, I want to see. I want to see just an outrageous question to ask. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. His faith made him whole. 
You have to admit you have a problem. There has to be uh, someone who has the power to heal, but then there has to be faith where we trust in Jesus as the Son of God, as the one who has the power to heal us. If we go back to John chapter 9, verse 35, we see very much so in the story that we started with that faith is central to the story. Whatever questions the Pharisees asked, I think Jesus asked the more important question. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? So just notice this, okay? This guy's blind from birth. Uh, Jesus' disciples say, hey, uh, you know, this guy sent his parents, uh, wanted to enter into a theological discussion. Long story short, Jesus heals the man. The Pharisees are outraged by this. They interview him. They interview his parents. They interview him again. And then they throw him out. Earlier in the day, he's a nobody. Nobody cares about Nobody even knows that he's just a blind man. That everybody knows in town, but nobody really knows who he is. And, and so now he's in the middle of this theological controversy around Jesus. But the real question at the end of the day is what do you believe? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. He doesn't even know who is he, sir. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. My question for you today is, do you believe? Do you believe? Change comes through belief in Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith heals you. A lot of us have been sitting in church a long time, We know a lot, but do we act in faith? One of the beautiful stories that came from being in India was we would tell our testimony, and then at the end we'd say, okay, do you want and need the power of Jesus to change your life like it changed my life? Hands would go up. Hands would go up. This church, just the five that we had go from this church, were able to lead 300 people to faith in Christ. Because we'd tell testimonies kind of like that. We'd tell the gospel story, and people would believe. They'd raise their hand, and then they'd come and they'd pray. And one woman, when she prayed to receive Christ as Savior and Lord, while the prayer was going on, she had that red dot right in the middle of her forehead. And in the middle of her prayer, she wiped that red dot off. Heather was praying with her. She didn't even know Chris saw it and told her afterwards. But folks, that is a demonstration of faith. Jesus puts mud in our eyes so that we'll go over to the pool and wash. That was her going to the pool and washing. My question for you this morning is, where do you need to go? What do you need to do? How can you demonstrate your faith in Christ Jesus can change your life. Spare heads and close our eyes and let's just get real with the Lord this morning. Who knows what you feel? The question is what's true? What is real? 
What's real? Are these stories real? Is Jesus really Lord? If he's Lord, then to be a believer, you have to follow him. That means you don't just go with your heart. You don't just go with how you feel. You have to actually follow Christ in obedience because he's your Lord. It's not just say a quick prayer and then I get to go to heaven and I move on with my life. It's I give my allegiance to Jesus. He's everything for me. I'll go to the pool, but then we're going to walk on water, and then we're going to go to the mountain, and then we're going to go here, and we're going to follow Christ. And maybe this morning I just want to ask you, have you really and truly trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? Or are you really your own master, and you're following just whatever your heart tells you to do? Have you ever followed through a believer's baptism? Have you joined a church? Maybe this morning you just need to come kneel at the altar and say, Lord, I've been running for 40 years. I've been in the wilderness 40 years, and today I'm coming home. I'm recommitting myself to you. I'm, the biblical word for it is repentance. I'm going to stop going the direction I've just been wanting to go, and I'm going to turn to Christ in faith. And I just want you to know that when you do that, I want you to hear me on this. Jesus can change your life. Father, I pray today for all of us. Pray that we admit the sickness in our hearts. I pray that we would have confidence that Jesus is the cure and he has the power to heal us. And Lord, now I pray that we would act in faith that we would trust Jesus, we'd walk in obedience to him as his disciples. Pray your blessing over every person here that they would be honest with you this morning, they'd be real with you. And they'd take another look at Jesus. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. If you want to come trust in Christ or follow through a believer's baptism, if you want to join the church, or maybe if you need to come kneel at the altar and do business with God. Whatever the case is, pray that you'll be obedient right now as we respond.